I do not want to be in charge. I'm happy to delegate. I wish I could delegate more things in my life. But the problem is that you have to be in charge, so you can't delegate. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I like that, but I accept it. <laughs> Hello, this is Amy Mann. <laughs> let's just start. You know what? Let's revert to, we're going to revert to professionalism. Yeah. Hello, this is Amy Mann. And I'm Ted Leo. Welcome to The Art of Process, a podcast that... <laughs> you, Over you, to you, the Ted. listener, are listening to. <laughs> I thought maybe you'd describe it. The podcast where the question, how do you do it, is answered. Sometimes, why do you do it? I don't think we've gotten too much into where do you do it. <laughs> no. Though I would little, like to. Yeah, a little where. Yeah, a I would like to. I, I think that our surroundings, they definitely affect the mood of what we may or may not be working on. Dude, 100%. 100%. As you know, we have a guest room that we redid because it was junky. And um, now it looks really okay. nice. And I have just moved in. I've just moved all my <laughs> stuff in there to yeah. use it as an office because my office is piled up with papers and garbage. Right. And I can work much better in a in like a nice, uh, clean, unjunky space. That's great. You can use your old office as a glorified filing cabinet. And your new office is your actual workspace. Yeah, that's pretty much what's happening. So when you come to stay, enjoy my piles of uh, index cards. <laughs> a number of years ago, I interviewed somebody from another band who shall remain nameless. And he's English. His band is English. And he was very lackadaisical about the interview. He wasn't. He either wasn't super thrilled to be there or his persona was generally that he's not super thrilled to be anywhere, you know? And we were talking about an album that his band had just made, and I knew the studio that they did it in, and I asked him, did you do it in the winter or the summer? And all of a sudden he perked up, and he was like, oh, that's a question. That's a musician's question. <laughs> and, you know, we started talking about it, and it's, it is really interesting wow. because if you think about a, a studio... If it's in the summer, for example, it's a place where you're going to be cooler than out on the street most places. If it's in the winter, it's more of like a warm refuge where you're hunkering down to work yeah. in a cozier way. And I, I have to believe that that affects your output in some way. I think it is delightful that he got excited about that I question. Know, and funny. after we finish, I have to know who it, who it was. The, maybe the accent's a clue. Yeah, no, I don't, it wasn't. That was a very generic. <laughs> generic British English Isles rock accent. accent yeah. Yeah. You know, another thing that we were going to talk about, Ted. Mm, okay. <laughs> Somebody sent me a picture of a product that is a mayonnaise sauce combo of some kind in a squeeze bottle, and it is called Cranch. Oh, mayonnaise and ranch dressing. <laughs> Wait a minute. No, ketchup and ranch dressing. Is it ketchup and ranch? Yeah, yeah. Is it ketchup Otherwise, and it would be manch, ranch onaise. <laughs> I'm obsessed with the name Cranch. I feel like it's so awful. It's such an awful marketing word. And yet I feel like I might get it just to be able to say, would you like some more Cranch with that? <laughs> well, we're, we're in the era of all good marketing ideas having been done or you know no longer being interesting. So now we're just wallowing around in the pit of what's going to generate clicks. Cranch is a click generator. If you don't think I passed that thing around via text as fast as I could. 
Now, we know how much you love a ketchup. I mean, I like a ketchup. Okay. I mean, I, I'm, you know, when eating a fry, ketchup is my go-to. I'm not putting extra oil on a fry mm-hmm. in the form of mayonnaise or ranch dressing. But what about with a salad? Um, I like a vegan ranch dressing. Okay, so you but, like a ran- uh, you like ranch dressing though. You know, yeah, the actual dairy is done for me. Mm. I think after a certain age, you just dairy. You just have to say goodbye. I got nothing. Ranches for ranches for children. Cranch cranches for children. Cranches. I don't know who cranch is for, but I'm afraid of them. What was the uh, the toothpaste where it had the separated lines in it, and there was like a peanut butter and jelly product where they're also we know within the same jar but separated, so you get the striation. Cranch is not like that. Cranch is just salmon colored. Yeah, it's just a salmon colored goo that's that you squeeze out of the squeeze bottle. Yeah, they're always trying to save you a step. Don't save me a step. I can do that step. Yeah, if they were smart, they'd just market it as a two-pack. Ketchup and ranch, buy them together, <laughs> mix them to your satisfaction. Also, I who is mixing those two things? Like, I've never been near anyone who wanted to stir up the ranch and ketchup. It's the, the those are always two discrete teams. Well, I think team ranch and team ketchup. To me, or it's, chup. Chup, as you like to say. Sure, chup. Um, I think it's adjacent to the mayonnaise mixing with a red thing, whether it's ketchup or like sometimes you get like a sriracha mayonnaise. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. So I can see. It's a it, big world out there. I got to catch up. I got to chup. <laughs> you got to chup. No, but you know, like Russian dressing is, is isn't, and I'm sure I'm going to get uh, angry emails about this, but I won't say it's essentially. I'll say you can make an approximation by just mixing ketchup and mayonnaise. Wait a minute, isn't there relish in there too? Or that's Thousand Thousand Islands? Islands, Which I've always assumed that the little bits of relish were the Thousand Islands (laughs) (laughs) in a Russian dressing lake. That's fantastic. This week we're talking to painter Eric White. Fine arts painter, not house painter. Not house painter. Well, maybe you know what? Maybe. Maybe. Fine fine arts painter. It was very cold the day that we interviewed Eric. It was the opposite. <laughs> Wait a minute, it was hot? Yeah, yeah. No. Yeah, it was. We had to We was... did it in the summer? Yeah. Yeah. We talk about it oh, at the beginning wow. of the episode. <laughs> oh god, what a dum dum. <laughs> no, you knew you you knew that it was extreme weather, but Wow. Yeah. It was very hot when we interviewed Eric. <laughs> yeah, I didn't remember the weather so much as the the cats. There's a couple of cats that were hanging around. Lovely cats. And I was very fascinated about Eric's relationship to music and how listening to music or going to see live music was stimulating to him, to his artistic, visual artistic stuff. One of his ongoing projects is a, a theoretically endless series of album covers that he's redone in ways that uh, are sometimes subtle and sometimes smack you in the face with the changes that he's made to them. They're so interesting and, yeah, sometimes nightmarish and sometimes whimsical and sometimes just kind of like where you feel a little crazy looking at them. He's showing in some galleries right now. I know he uh, had one in New York this past fall, and he's got a few in Europe throughout the spring of the projects that he was working on when we got to actually visit his studio and see it, which are much larger paintings involving great detail of these brutalist buildings and automobiles from the early 70s. And I'll put a link to his website where you can see some of that in the show notes. And speaking of music, something that he's done since we spoke to him 
was design the new Tyler the Creator LP cover. Oh, that's really, that's great. When we talked to him, he was preparing for his show in November, and the show was wildly successful. So that, that makes me really happy. And it was really interesting to see where he was at getting ready for this show. Yeah, as always, our timing is not perfect in, in getting these episodes out attached to certain events. But he is showing in Europe right now. If you happen to be a listener in you know, Brussels or Amsterdam, I know he's got some shows up there in the spring. So check out Eric White. It's uh, about a thousand degrees where we are. So we're going to be talking to you in a, a heat stupor. The fear of a bad review leads us to do this without air conditioning, giving you the audio quality that we know you demand. <laughs> I don't think I understand what fear fear of bad reviews. What? Uh, bad reviews <laughs> of the podcast for having air conditioning noise in the background. Oh, I see. Oh, the yes. Bad the reviews noise. in general, but which spills over into this new. It was great, venture. except for that air conditioning noise in the background. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, Eric White, hello. I'm Hi. sorry we've talked so much before introducing you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining We're us. We're very excited to be talking to you. Thank you for having you. us into your space, too. Oh, sure. I don't mean to complain about your space being hot, because it's so much cooler <laughs> than any other <laughs> space in New York City. But it is hot, and it's getting hotter already. I can feel it since we turned that off. I'm looking forward to seeing what, uh, like a heat stupor, what kind of conversation it will engender. Because visual art is so different from music, and my approach to artistic process is so not necessarily what it's like for other people. I guess I'm curious about um, your general thoughts on this. The idea of the bolt from the blue versus work as a conduit through which ideas can come. Well, I feel like I have a range of things going on. I've had the sort of bolt of lightning thing when I wasn't expecting it. And I've also had the struggle and having to set up structures and having to work and fight for it, really. So I've had both and some things in between. And I, I wish I had a way of managing that or calling things forth, but I don't really. With one exception, which, is, which I have noticed is kind of consistent, when, when I go see live music sometimes, and if I'm working on something and I start thinking about it, something happens when I'm watching live music mm -hmm. where things start flowing in my head. And I've had that happen a couple of times where I was actually able to resolve a concept or something that I was struggling with while watching music. So I don't know what the hell that is That's about. really interesting. Yeah. Does it feel like maybe a cross-pollination of... I mean, music, because we were talking about this yesterday, was it like really does go right to the center of your kind of emotional... Yeah, situation letting, and bypasses you letting know. up certain neural pathways that absolutely. And I, I don't claim to understand what that is because I, I don't really know why it does that. But it, maybe it is some kind of cross pollination situation. But you know, that's like been a concrete thing for me. Not every time, but it, but I've I've actually used that. Like I've had things I'm struggling with, and then I go to see a show with the intention of working through this thing. And then wow. it's almost like I'm. It doesn't feel like I'm in a trance. Like I'm transported somewhere else or anything like that it's just things start to move in a different way and I mean music has been such a huge part of my life since I was a little kid and it is still a huge part of my studio practice mm -hmm. and you know there's so many other things I, I it used to basically be music only now there's so many other things that I listen to or and sometimes I'll even watch a movie while I'm you know glance mm -hmm. over at it and audiobooks and podcasts and all that so there's a variety of things but Music is still an important part of it, and when I'm, it, it will. I can. It, it does something different to me when I put music on. 
Yeah. And now I just kind of let it kind of intuitively decide where, where I'm going. Like if I feel like I need something like a book to activate my brain more while I'm doing something really tedious, I'll do an audio book. But there's something about putting the music on that changes me emotionally or, and depending on what it, it, what I choose, it, it affects me almost physically, it feels like. And if I'm tired or something, I need, if I put on the right song or the right album, it, it'll energize me. Was the um, record cover series something that arose more out of an intellectual idea or did it really just come from your love of music? Well, that's what I wanted to address because that's the only time I believe where something came directly from the dream state. Oh, wow. Like that literally came from a dream, like a pretty mundane dream. I was in a record store flipping through vinyl, which you know obviously comes from my love of music. I probably wouldn't have had that dream if I hadn't shopped for records for you know however many decades. But So I'm flipping through, and I see that Elton John Greatest Hits, which was identical to the original, but he had asshole eyes. Wow. <laughs> and, I, and I literally, well, I started laughing and then woke up, and I was still laughing out loud. And I've never had that happen before. I've never laughed in a dream. Yeah, I've, it was incredible. I was still laughing when I woke up. That's wild. And it took me a couple years. You know, it, it, I never forgot it, obviously. It was just too ridiculous. It's just so stupid and hilarious. But I, but I never forgot it. And I was working on this series that was, I was getting bogged down with it. And I wasn't feeling that connected to it. And I felt like it was, I was getting pretentious with it or something. I, was, I just... I needed a break, so I just said, what if I just basically take that idea and create an object that is the same size, you know, that actually appears to be a piece of vinyl, you know, a record cover. And so I started that series, and it was, it's exactly what I needed, and it's, it's one of the most, I mean, it's one of my most successful series, I think, and, it's, and I'm, it's still continuing, and I really enjoy doing it. It's really fun. Was the Elton John one the first one you actually rendered, or did that come later? I think the first one I finished was this Harry Belafonte one. Mm-hmm. So I tried to kind of replicate at least the tone of it in each one they're all kind of absurdist so i i tried to kind of capture that sense of humor yeah and just the the strangeness yeah and and they some are more successful than others but but a few of them i really think came out you know i'm just i'm just proud of that series but uh so I think the Elton John was the second one I finished. And it also has the accuracy of that dream state where there's a familiar thing, but it's you, you can't read it yeah. or it doesn't work in the same way. And it's you're not, not the sure Uncanny why. Valley. It's like a it's a dream state. Yeah. yeah. And I well, because I I wanted to I was wondering if you guys have ever had anything that comes directly from a dream. Like well, Amy was with me last year, staying at my place when I woke up after having having dreamt a chorus of a song, and I actually remembered it when I woke up and was able to figure it out, it was that Let's Stay on the Moon wow. song. I remember coming downstairs and just like, throw the guitar, you yeah. know, and like, was able to actually figure it out and then build, wow. build a song from there. It's happened a couple of other times for me, but none as successfully as that. I've certainly dreamt songs where I'm like, oh, I love this song. I know I'm dreaming. I got to try to remember it. I try to remember like what the chord progression is, and I just, you know, I think the one time, the one time I did that, I dreamt that Tim Heidecker was singing a song <laughs> and it was, and I was like, I got to remember this. Like, this is really great. And then like, when I woke up, I realized he was like, I love hot chocolate. Like it was something so <laughs> dumb, you know, like a really typical dream letdown. Right, right. <laughs> right. But that's incredible that you actually got the melody and you were able to bring it into waking consciousness. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's certainly rare. You yeah, know? I, mean, I mean, I've heard of that happening, but it's cool. Yeah. It's great that, that I'm jealous. Idea from, yeah, I do 
dream melodies and songs all the time. Huh. And sometimes I, I wake up and voice memo uh-huh. a hummed melody that is sometimes really hard to pick out, you know, whatever's actually humming in the in the waking state later. But um, right. I've been able to, to build a few things around those too, but I've never really, or very rarely had something as fully formed as like, this is the chorus of a song that you are going to write when you wake up, you know. Right. Except right. that one time. But that's yeah. pretty amazing. Even just to have a melody line that's that formed that you can carry. And also it's interesting yeah. that you actually become lucid for a second when you, when the, when yeah. you had that happen. Like yeah. you realize you were dreaming. Yeah. And I try, I'm like, you've got try to remember this. Like try to remember what the chord progression is and what the beat is. And I just, you know, it's just too many elements to, to <laughs> yeah. keep together. Yeah, I've had it happen with lyrics too. Huh. There's this one lyric that's been kicking around in my head, but it doesn't work without the melody and I lost the melody. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so frustrating. Have you tried to write a new melody for it or it just doesn't? I, I haven't really tried okay. to be honest with you. I just, I keep trying to remember the one that, yeah. <laughs> that I had. Aside from the original subject matter of the album covers, what you do to them varies in theme and tone a little bit as well like yeah. there are a lot that are almost like current eventsy political yeah it's true so the initial kernel came from that dream specifically but then i have to just work you know then I, there, none of the other ones are coming to me magically right. you know? so then i'm just basically thinking is there an album that i adore that i would like to do or is there an album i hate that i would like to do for whatever reason you know and then yeah so there's some of them are somewhat political and and but the aim is just to have fun with the process because my work can be really technical and and boring to execute sometimes you know mm. so and and because i i was like locking myself into this narrative for this other body of work that i just overthink things and set up too many rules for myself so that's what the album series broke me out of and that's oh, wow. what i needed so it's something i can always revisit i mean i'd like to eventually do a book when i do enough of them but I can just do one off, like, oh, this album will be great for that, or I have an idea, you know. Right. So that's almost the answer to a question about breaking a writer's block, like yeah. when you're stuck. Do you have other methods or other things that have worked for you? I, I mean, usually it's just pushing through it and, and forcing it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love the for- forcing has not come up yet, but I like it. <laughs> I, mean, I just don't think there's any... I wish there were a way... Like I said, to, to call it into being or or have direct access, and I and I've had other even stranger things. I mean, the the, the dream thing, like where the hell does that? Um, is it just the subconscious? Maybe it is, but I've had other things that have happened that I find hard to believe can be explained away by just that. And and I don't know what the hell they are, but I've had a couple of them that, I mean, mostly it has been, you know, just working and forcing it. And but I've had things that just come to me out of nowhere, and I don't even take responsibility for them because I don't feel like they're mine they don't, it wasn't mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like something I thought of and since it you know since it is I'm referencing other imagery a lot of the time and a lot of it is found imagery and I'm obsessed with film and so I, I do draw from film so sometimes I'll watch films and sometimes that'll bring ideas together and, and one of the first pieces I think that was pretty successful over 20 years ago now came from watching uh, Place in the Sun and it was mm-hmm. a scene with Monty Clift and um Elizabeth Taylor, and this, I was high, but that, 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 that isn't, that has, that's the only time that has actually served me, I think. Usually it's the opposite and it's terrible, but at that point I happened to be high and I was watching this scene and something just struck me. Usually that's a terrible idea for me, you know, so I don't really right. do that now, but in that one case, it happened. But, I, but I've had these other things, and I don't know if it makes sense to explain what they are, it's great 
radio to talk about a painting. <laughs> a bit. No, yeah, yeah. No, I say absolutely. go. I say go ahead. Yeah, really? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, so the one we're looking at is called Swims from 1999. This is a series I did right before I moved to New York, and um, so I just had this idea to do. It's a beach scene, but there's two of them. They're flipped. So the horizon. Li- there's a horizon line on the bottom. There's also one on the top. People standing upside down on the top one, and people on the sitting on the bottom one. So I did this painting, and then the way I title work is interesting. It's kind of an. Inter- I mean, sometimes it's not a fun process, but other times it just comes naturally. And this was one where, when I was just starting the painting, I was like, "Oh, it's called it's called Swims." And then I did the painting, finished it, showed it, and like I, I don't know how you know maybe a couple years afterwards, or, or at least a couple months after the show, when this stuff was up on my website. Someone pointed out to me, like, oh, that's so interesting that you titled it Swims, because when you flip that title upside down, it spells the same thing. Whoa. Oh, my God. And I had no idea. Wow. I had no idea. But I just, it took me so off guard, and I completely played it off like I had, I was like, oh, yeah, isn't that cool? (laughs) Because I was, and I was still processing it. I should have just been like, what? I didn't know that, but I was, I mean, stupidly, I was too embarrassed to, to, I mean that went right by me. So what? What is that? Like, I, and it was, it was that same reaction. I, I was completely floored, and I played it off to this person I was talking to on the phone, but I, I didn't see it until she pointed it out. But and it's like, what little hamster wheel is working in the background that I don't even know about? Right. Right. And I love that that is in there somewhere. Do you have moments in your work where you come up on something emotionally that? is surprising when if you're working on a thing I don't know at what point you know for me obviously like writing a song there's a you know a bridge or a lyric or passage of music or whatever where I have this moment where I'm suddenly realize what the song is about for me I'm writing a song about this and this is what happens next and this is how the next part goes and then suddenly there's an emotional connection that you surprise yourself wow so that Uh, happened to you like Mid song, like happens. mid constructing. It doesn't happen then... on every song, but it definitely happens. When you know, I'll write a thing and I'll go, "Oh my god!" Like it suddenly like is really upsetting or huh. right. sad or emotional, and uh, I don't see it coming. Right, but that's interesting that you you'd already started the process and then you're like midway through and then you yeah then it hits you yeah. I mean, does it feel like that like the meanings revealed at that point, or is it more just like an emotional? I think what happens is it's when the song intersects with me, my right. my you know my stuff. You think my you're telling past or a story that is largely external, and then you you realize that it's actually intersecting with you yeah. in, in your life, right? Yeah, and yeah. then I guess that changes your view of the entire. Yeah, exactly. Because, yeah, because you're like, oh, these bricks that I laid, Mm -hmm. this walkway that I made to go up to this door, oh, it was heading towards that door. (laughs) And and that is, that's kind of fascinating because once again, it's like the little hamster wheel that's going without your knowledge. Yeah. Well, the thing that made me think of was one series I was working on for my first New York show before I got this studio, which was in 2003, I think. And I was working in my apartment and I had all the paintings around me all the time and I I'd never really had a studio because I went to RISD and I worked at home mostly we they didn't really give us studios they, they, it was just kind of pathetic and that what we were offered a studio so I just figured I'd work at home so mm-hmm. I was more comfortable so I carried that on after college for a long time until and I was at that point working till six or eight in the morning and sleeping all day and just horrible idea 
Don't ever do that, anyone. But uh, <laughs> and they were, you know, I was sleeping underneath them, and they were literally entering my dreams. Like I'd sleep, I guess, with my eyes partially open, and wow. they would, I would, they would start to be moving. It was driving me insane. Oh or I or I'd you know six in the morning finish and go brush my teeth and come in with the toothbrush, look at them, like put the toothbrush down, and start painting. Yeah, I, I needed the separation, but I didn't know I needed it. So that's kind of a separate part of that whole show. But while I was working on that, there was one night that I was. I mean, I don't know how to explain it other than because again it didn't feel like something that was coming from me it felt like something that was coming in from somewhere else yeah and it just was this flood of information and I I mean I I had done a bunch of work on the show but I didn't really have kind of an overarching concept for it yet but it all just got delivered to my brain in this one moment I was lying in bed late at night and it just and it felt like like I could barely keep up with what Wow. was happening and I was like and it was like oh well then the, this series within this series make, means this and this this is about your parents and this is the and it all connected these things that were kind of these disparate feeling bodies of work that I knew were all going for the show but it, it suddenly it really felt like it was delivered to me how these things were to interact right mm. and what the meaning was of the entire show and how they it was unbelievable we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with more Eric White on The Art of Process. The Art of Process is supported in part by Care Of. A monthly subscription vitamin service. Give yourself an extra boost this season, whether you're looking for more energy, better sleep. To manage stress or something else to help you feel your healthiest. Amy, we have a returning sponsor. It's very exciting. It makes me happy that sponsors want to sponsor us. You know, we're believers and always sort of hoping it makes a difference to people. So that's that's kind of one indication that someone cares. It was <laughs> <laughs> maybe a little too pathetic. <laughs> Does anybody care? Well, care of cares. They have like a fun online quiz that asks you about your diet and health goals and lifestyle stuff. And it only takes five minutes. They tailor a program of vitamins to your needs and your desires. All of the information on their website is totally transparent. You can find out where all of the herbs and minerals are mined, where they're created, how they're processed, what the working conditions are like, literally, you know, what part of the globe things are coming from. And that's really important, especially in this day and age when certain venerable water companies that purport to be from a wonderful, healthful spring in Maine turn out to be groundwater put into plastic bottles. That really that really chapped your ass. It really got me. <laughs> really? I was very angry. I was a real <laughs> I was a real stand for that particular brand and now I'm, I'm not even going to use that water to take my care of vitamins ever again. The quiz is very fun and easy and it's very convenient to get individual packets that have everything you need. A lot of times you go to the store and well, a lot of the times I go to the store and a lot of the time a lot of When I go to the store to buy vitamins, I often have to read the finest of fine print to see if this particular gel cap or that particular gel cap is vegan and vegetarian friendly. You can figure all that out right on the website and you can select things that are specific to your uh, dietary needs, not just vegan, vegetarian, all other kinds as well if you you have them. Oftentimes, you know, in the world of healthcare, obviously we are asked to identify as one gender or the other. In the quiz, they give you a non-binary option, and it's one of the first times I've seen a corporation do that. I really appreciate it. I know that um, recently a certain airline decided to start doing that, and I like to think that it was because we called out airlines not doing that in our last Care Of ad a number of weeks ago. It's probably our influence. <laughs> <laughs> Subscribe at 
TakeCareOf.com, and for 50% off your first month of personalized Care of Vitamins, enter PROCESS50 at checkout. That's the numbers five zero. Something that's come up a number of times in talking to other people for this has been with people who do work in a little bit more of a structured way, the idea that it becomes a ritual that, like what spiritual rituals are sort of supposed to do, create a space for, like, call it the divine in that case or whatever, to enter. But another, another way that that happens is through achieving some kind of ecstatic state where that mm-hmm. that structured mind actually is transcended a little bit, like whether it's you know, Sufi twirling or mm-hmm. perhaps... Sleep deprivation. Living, sleeping underneath your paintings, <laughs> yeah. you know, and That's not it. brushing That's your teeth so you can finish, you know, something uh, for, for yeah. you know, months on end or, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. You wind up in this place where um, the ego and the and the, the personal uh, protective boundaries sometimes fall away. And yeah. then you're open to these. Yeah. It could very well be something like that because I was probably sleep deprived and a little bit deranged because it was exhausted because it was at the end of the pro. Well, I don't know. If, I don't. I don't remember at what point it was. I was well into it, but it really helped me make it all make sense. And yeah. and I just don't feel like I did that. You know? Right. Well, but you might be right that it that it yeah. That, that you and that's maybe why I get affected that way with live music. I would. I wonder if other people. I mean, it's, maybe it's different for you guys, I guess. But people that aren't that don't make music, maybe I wonder if anyone else. I'm sure some people do are affected that way because maybe it does a similar thing. It opens you up and it di- opens your brain up in a different way. So you're more receptive to yeah. Well, I think I have this I sort know. of theory that we regulate our own thoughts and emotional states through being near and seeing the work of and processes of other people's brains. Yeah. And I find that being around certain people who I, who I think have a very measured and organized thinking help me to be more measured and organized if that's what I'm needing. So okay. maybe just being around music, you know, helps you do that. I do think yeah. music bypasses, you know, goes right to an emotional place. Like it does bypass thought. Yeah, I and agree. I, I would certainly say that I think you and I, Amy, have both have discussed this with each other a number of times, but like with, I guess, the making of, of any art, the performing of a song has its mechanical aspects and it has its um, ethereal aspects. And um, there are certainly times when the next song on the set list is a little bit like, oh, well, you know, I guess we're <laughs> going to start this one again, you know. But in the midst, you know, once you get into it, it's so rare that I can't think of a single instance when I didn't get transported into the song, you know. Wow. Even something you've played hundreds of times and... Yeah. Is that true of you too? Or? I have to think of... I mean, this is a more recent thing for me where I start to think of... This is more as an antidote to anxiety or stage fright or, you know, worrying about making a mistake or the audience or whatever. Right. Um, But I start to think of the song as its own structure, its own bubble that is a cocoon that I just need to enter into and it will help and protect me. And I don't mean that. I mean, that sounds very woo-woo and magic-y. I don't even... It's just a way of thinking it that, that to just keep you inside it. Yeah. And each... The song has its own, some are hutches and some are shacks and some are, you know, like each, <laughs> each song has its own, but they're all structures. Yeah. Wow. yeah. It's, own, it's own architecture. And everything. Yeah. yeah. And I, but I don't really think of that when I'm writing it. It's definitely a live, a live thing. Wow. Yeah. Do you actually see it visually in a way? Or a little really? bit. I mean, I do. I'm making this gesture wow. as I'm, you know, like, like a, a dome. tent, a dome-like yeah. gesture. Mm-hmm. And they all kind of appear slightly differently or are they are kind of just like a vague cocoon? Yeah, I mean, a little bit. It's just like trying to get inside it. And huh. getting inside it for me, too, is 
what is the story? Like start it, you know, when I write it, like start, right. at, start at the beginning and listen to what you're saying. Sometimes it helps me to get over nervousness or anxiousness, um, anxiety, if I enunciate and like really think about the words because then I can right. stay inside the story. But you know, what's it, what I think is really interesting and different about what you do is it, it seems obvious that there's enormous amount of planning and organization and structure and craftsmanship that has to go into it. And I don't even know what the question would be, but I'm... That sort of dovetails with what I was going to ask, which is, you know, I know that every visual artist is as different as every musician and et cetera, et cetera, and how they work. But um, when you talk about these ideas and these sort of fulfillment of concepts arriving for you, where do you begin usually with, or, you know, we could even talk specifically about your upcoming show. Like, where do you begin mm-hmm. conceptually? How much of the piece and how much of the series, if it's going to be a series, do you have, like, somewhat mapped out? And also, how many iterations of the actual visual of something will you go through, like, from sketch to finished product? Um, well, those are good questions. I, I, and, and in this case, for this body, which I've now been working on for a year back in Brooklyn, from LA. Um, I mean, I started to think about it in LA, but then driving out here, getting the studio set back up, I really got to work about a year ago, I guess. And more than any other body I've done, it's just changed and morphed so many times and so many things have fallen away. And that isn't traditionally how I work. Most of the stuff that I start ends up in the show. And this is, I've already edited some things out. And my, the owner of my gallery has played a part in it and and I've never really had that before and I really appreciate it just his thinking on it and his eye and his expertise he's actually been really helpful with that and so I mean the initial idea is I'd say 80% gone from you know from the initial conception that's never really happened before and I guess the core idea is still there maybe but I had I you know he, he came over and did a studio visit months ago and looked around for a minute and said oh you have too many ideas and the, the painting that I had been focusing on for about three months, he said, oh, take that out. And wow. I was just <laughs> shocked. And like, yeah. well, you, wow. of course, you're joking, right? What are you talking about? And then when he left, you know, I was just thrown for sure. And then he left and I sat there for a minute and I realized he was completely right. Yeah. Because it was the, the rest of the stuff that I was planning to do and had started fit together better than that thing fit in. And, and I just think he was right. And I wouldn't have seen that, I don't think. Is it hard for you to throw out stuff? I mean, obviously, just like the physical work, but do you have a lot of faith that I'll always have other ideas? Or, you know, do you no. have that, like, this is the last song I ever wrote. Yeah, I definitely like, I'll have never that. write another song. Yeah, it's terrifying to start a new... I mean, and, and, in fact, starting this work, I, I, I was struggling to figure something out. And the initial idea was okay, and I was doing sketches that felt kind of like other work. And, thankfully, I got through that. I've just never had this much process happen. You know, I, I, it's usually gone a little more smoothly than this. Um, and I'm happy where it is now, but I have had to throw things out. I mean, I didn't literally yeah. throw them out. I'm going to work on those later, but they don't fit into don't what fit I'm in. doing now. And I wish I could have that time back because now the clock's ticking wow. and I, I, I need as every second, you know, that I, that I have available to me. And it's, I don't even know if it's enough time. Like during this podcast. Yeah, like you could work change that we're <laughs> I mean, that must be really tough. Or I wonder if some, you know, some people that like a deadline, but to have a, a ticking clock of things that have to be finished by a certain time, that's, I don't usually have, I mean, I, you know, yeah. you, you write for a project, you write right. for a, 
a record and maybe there's songs that don't you you know like oh that doesn't fit but there's usually not like it has to a be done deadline. by june right it's been yeah. a while since you or i have recorded on studio time that was limited by budget or time because we i record at home right <laughs> and Tina, yeah. you record right me. but certainly writing and recording on yeah. a on a clock yeah that doesn't happen yeah i mean i think i've always worked better with deadlines but it is terrifying and i do wake up often you know, panic that I'm not going to make it. And you know, yeah. how am I going to get all this done? Because it is very labor intensive. Yeah. And there are technical things. I'm working on these three gigantic ones. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of things that aren't even resolved in these other two. And there's less than four months until wow. I have to be in there in my suit with the things on the wall right. finished yeah. or as finished as they can be. A glass of champagne in your yeah. hand. They'll be wet probably, but they'll be on the walls, <laughs> hopefully. They'll and be wet, know. but they'll be up. They'll be up. <laughs> I mean, uh, road and, hard and put up wet. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and I was, I mean, I always need more time, but I do like having the structure of a deadline. Let's talk a little bit about the labor intensive <laughs> nature of, of some of your, a lot of your paintings. Let's just be as general as how did you start painting in that way? And also, like, it's not photorealistic, right? But there's a certain surreal realism to yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's photo based, but I don't mm-hmm. really cons- I mean I think some people do think it's fo- photorealistic. I don't I don't consider it photorealism, although I see why some people say that. Right. And I am almost always working from photos, either found or ones that I take or usually a combination. And some invention of stuff just out of my head, but mostly it, I I am referencing something. When you and- first started, was this has there been an evolution of things you were styles you were interested in? Uh, people that you admired, things that you've found yourself imitating that you either adopted or fell by the wayside? I think so, because I remember when I was younger, seeing photorealistic painting used to blow my mind. I mean, oh, wow. I mean, I like all kinds of painting and all kinds of art, really, and I, re- I really lately gravitated more towards abstraction. But the, the, the first thing I probably saw that, that just melted my brain was walking into the DIA in Detroit and seeing the Diego Rivera mural, mm-hmm. like fresco. It's on three walls there, maybe even four walls in this giant space. And that was a mind-blowing event. And then, you know, I started to s- d- seeing Dali's work was another one. And I, I did kind of gravitate towards photorealism because I just was blown mm-hmm. away by how someone could do that. So yeah. then I started doing, and I started just working in pencil, drawing from photographs and trying to get it as close as possible. I mean, before that, I, I, I used to just try to write text as small as I possibly could. Like I would sharpen a pencil and then sharpen it down like in trying, you know, micro text. Wow. See how small I could, I don't know why, but (laughs) it was just like a challenge to see how tiny I could write legible (laughs) words. It's got a little crumb flavor. Yeah, Yeah, I believe so. (laughs) Which is a little disturbing. I mean, I'm definitely OCD and weird about that stuff. And I do set up too many rules for myself and like, Mm -hmm. Why am I putting myself inside these structures and the parameters that I don't that are totally arbitrary? What, I mean, I like what, to do that. What in a way, are but they? Can you are they nameable? I don't know. I guess this like, is I'm fascinating. Trying think, I'm trying to think about this one. Like I'm putting these old 70s because this whole show, all everything takes place around 1973, and I'm putting so I'm putting in. I grew up near Detroit. My grandparents were in the auto industry, and so that's a part of my upbringing. Mm-hmm. And so I have these cars in there. So I'm I'm like. And I've been trying to figure it out for months. Like, okay, I've got to have one specimen from each of the big three. Plus, I have to have AMC. Then I have to have one Japanese car. Like, wow. I'm trying to build this code of right. the cars and how right. well, how they'll re- relate to each other between the three paintings. I mean, it's 
I mean, it's kind of fun until I start driving myself so crazy right. with it that I, I'm just going nowhere. Like, I think I've finally figured it out now, but it, it was months. Like, what, am I, what the hell am I going to do with that? But I can't just, like, put a couple cars in there. I have to build yeah. this code into it. Is that reflected in the brutalist architecture in some of these? At well, all that, well? The, that's kind of one of the vestiges from the initial concept, which was I was looking up hospitals, and I found that building, which apparently is a famous building. It's the Denver General Hospital. I just liked the way the building looked, and so I just pulled the image. I started using it. And then, again, when my dealer came over and said, oh, you're making this one 7 by 12 foot painting? Why don't you make three of those? And again, I was like, what are you talking about? There's no chance I can do that. And then he left, and then I was like, oh, yeah, he's right again. Like, that would be the statement. And, and the, the, just to make that statement, and also the, the way the three can now interact with each other, yeah. which wouldn't have happened if there was just a single painting. Yeah. It's made it much more interesting. Mm. It, it's also driven me a little crazier than I would, you know, <laughs> and if it was just a one-off. But I, but I appreciate that he kind of had this vision for me to, to, to like, you know, you need to it sounds like, push, push yeah, yourself. Like and, a producer. You know, like yeah, the yeah, yeah, very much so. I've never yeah. had that, and I really, really am grateful for it. But wait, what was it? What was the oh, I was, well, rules and arbitrary rules and yeah. structures? But you, oh, the building. You, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Because so, there's a brutalist quality to being large and revealing the some of the bones of the structure without actually showing you the inside yeah. of the structure. You know, yeah. Really. Well, it was meant to just be a kind of big, ugly, terrifying, okay. <laughs> overpowering built office building, which which all, brutalism also is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I and and then oh yeah, so when he said, "Oh, do two more of these," I found the image that I pulled and then re-uploaded it and then I was able to find out that it was the Denver General uh, Hospital and I, luckily for me there were, there's a bunch of photography on, when the building was unveiled in 1970 there was all kinds of photography of from different angles wow. so I didn't have to go into a computer and build a 3D model of it or anything like that right. so oh my so, God. so I was lucky with that but so it's not it's just meant to be a kind of nondescript horrifying looking office building right. not yeah. a hospital anymore but it is from that specific mm. building so I guess that's an example of a code yeah. that I that I drive myself nuts with for for yeah. no reason. I mean I think I think it'll it'll when I if if it, this works I think I think is going to be the direction it's going. If that works I think I'll be satisfied with it. Right. But it is sometimes I I go too deep into that kind of thinking and yeah. re, you know drive myself a little yeah, crazy. Yeah, you know, yeah. So you have like a scaffolding and then you're not sure when to throw off the scaffolding because the structure yeah. can stand on its own. Yeah. Um. Since we've already talked about you know music in your work, I feel a little bit more comfortable mm -hmm. asking this because I I don't want it to come off like you know when someone hears your music and then says like oh you should listen to you know do you like Elvis Costello or whatever, <laughs> yeah. whatever. you're like yeah come on yeah, no. <laughs> but um the, I I do find especially in this stuff that we're talking about this um abstracted realism mm -hmm. stuff of yours that there's kind of a punk art quality huh. that comes through to to me like it has some of a feel of an amazing insert unfolded i don't know if you're familiar with like uh g voucher from crass uh, yeah. you know but some of her larger yeah. unfolding pieces that yeah, also yeah. have this like abstracted realism yeah. feel to it that takes you a really long time to actually get to actually see everything even yeah. that's happening yeah i don't know well that's you know and i think probably before i even went to a museum i was looking at album covers yeah and i didn't realize at the time that um and, you know, my parents played the Beatles all the time. So I was staring at the White Album, staring at Sgt. Pepper's and, you know, the poster from the White Album and things. And I didn't realize at the time that those were two of the most important artists at the time. And still considered two of them, you know, Richard Hamilton and Peter Blake, incredibly important. I didn't know that, but that work was entering my brain at, right. a, you know, when I was five years old or whatever. So that was having an influence on me, even though I didn't know where it was coming from. I mean, yeah, that's, that's the sad thing to me about 
the I mean I know people buy vinyl and everything, but most kids aren't really exposed to that artwork in that way, you know. And and in general, I'd say there isn't as much of that generated because it ends up being smaller than a postage stamp right. for most people. But I would stare at those at Sergeant Pepper's for you know just constantly and and or whatever else it was. I I would it really meant something to me to kind of investigate the whole package and the you know yeah. the gay fold and if there was an extra thing in there. Yeah, it really yeah. hit every part of your brain in a lot of ways. Like yeah. I, you know that always meant a lot to me too. Sure. I've bought you know as a kid bought records because sure. of the of the cover. Yeah, not having any idea what the yeah. hell it is for sure. And so later on, you know, doing artwork, it really meant a lot to me to have it be yeah. good and not just throw something just together. Whatever, yeah. Just yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, and it's such an important part of the experience for me. I mean, you know, you're listening to it and you're staring at the cover. This is what those people put yes. forward with yeah. this musical statement. This is their visual statement that goes along with it. It's just so important to me, you know. Um, and I, in college, I learned about Peter Blake and looked up some of his work. And then, I mean, there are so many artists that I admire. But when people ask me, what's your, or if someone asks me, what's your favorite painting, I say his painting on the balcony because it has, there, there's so much going on. You can go into, you know, it's very, the painting delivers, you know, it's very satisfying to me because it's got all kinds of things going on. It, it works from far away. You can sit, the, you can stare at the thing for an hour. There's, right. there's minute detail throughout, little pockets of extreme action happening, these little panels within the thing. I, so that's kind of come through and I, you know, there's just something satisfying about that, about doing, the, you know, just a crazy level of right. detail. I mean, I guess I could have been a, if, or if this doesn't work out, I can still be a sign because <laughs> I like doing fonts. I mean, I like painting text. Yeah. And graphic. I like the the kind of interplay between graphic elements and render. Yeah, there's elements. a lot of that, that satisfying graphic design, which I love. Yeah, it's just uh, something about that. I mean, it's hard to do, but I, I like the end result usually. But it takes forever. <laughs> That's the only issue. And, you know, so those kind of magical, ethereal, inspirational events that have happened are really rare. You know, yeah. I, it's mostly just grinding the things out. And I, I now have, I'm, I've, again, forced, I've done it throughout my whole working life. You know, like, I used to work flat, then I forced myself to work on an easel. It was uncomfortable, but I felt like it, I needed to do it. I forced myself, I used to work very small, forced myself to work bigger and switch back from acrylic to oil. Mm -hmm. Just, I like to challenge myself. And I, and I do, I, I feel lucky that I have a lot of ideas and I do get bored easily. So I, I don't end up doing, some people will do the same idea an entire show of one idea or multiple shows of one. If something hits, they'll just stick with that thing. I just get bored. And I probably, there are things that I haven't maybe pursued in the way that I should have and explored all the way, you know, but. Um, Does that magical sort of feeling happen? It, is it happening in the idea? Does it happen in the execution? Does it happen in both? Like, can it continue or you have the idea, you're excited about it, you sketch it out and then you're like, let's get down to the business. You know, like, how does that work it, yeah. for you? Or, they feel like isolated yeah. events. I mean, if it's a powerful idea or something that I'm excited about, that part of it will carry through. But I feel like whatever I'm accessing, or those are these little blips. Yeah. And mostly it's just the technical aspect of it. And I used to um, fully develop the thing before I even started painting. So I'd have just a completely composed sketch. And mm -hmm. I, would, I would maybe deviate a tiny bit, but not much. I'd just resolve it all and then start, which I, it just started to get too tedious and... Then like that part was fun, and then but then all the weeks I'm spending on the thing are horribly boring. So now right. I've kind of tried to like for example with these three, I I knew I needed to get them started, but I and nothing was resolved, but I decided to get 
just to lock in where the buildings were going to be. So that's what I did first was just put that ugly building in all three of them. Then I'm locked into that because I'm sure as hell not going to, I can't move them now. So that, at least that gets me going. Right. Yeah. You are listening to Eric White on The Art of Process. We're going to take a quick break and be right back. With the individual paintings, as Mm -hmm. opposed to looking at the series as a whole and and editing, as you're adding things, are there also going to be things that you you remove as you go along? Or Um, is that just a process that when you give yourself a chance to take a step back that you... I guess there are some things, like I'm thinking about the one I've been working on for weeks and I'm trying to get done in the next 10 days. I just seem to keep adding things. There are a couple (laughs) of things that have changed, but I keep adding these detailed little areas that are, you know... (laughs) <laughs> and and that's the last time I had that actually was was I, I couldn't sleep and I usually I don't have a problem I fell asleep I'm fine you know but I was it just could not sleep and I knew I had to get up early so I was getting pissed off and anxious that mm-hmm. I, I know I'm not gonna I'm gonna be awful tomorrow if I don't get enough sleep but then the same kind of thing happened like this idea just at the end of that like lying there for two or three hours just thrashing around I finally had this idea for this painting that I that really got me excited about it so wow. I guess it was worth it for, you know, uh, and, and again, I can't dictate when that's going to come through. I'm, I'm glad it did for that because it, it, I think it is going to improve all three of them and the whole, the whole body, I, I hope. But it, it does, it's, it's the part that I was talking about that's like repainting these t- album covers even smaller than actual size, right. which is just um, kind of stupid. But, but <laughs> it's coming out well, I think. So, but it's just taking up the time that I should, you know, I'm just not very good at time management and I just get obsessed with something and I want to get it the way I want it to look and it just takes as long as it takes. With your style of painting in particular, I think it does differ from a lot of how a lot of music gets started or even like stand-up comedians can have like a germ of an idea and just like workshop it forever till they nail it you know or (laughs) you know we can just pick up a guitar and start plonking around yeah and then until something yeah Yeah. grabs us but you're very i imagine unlikely to just go like let me mix a couple colors and start throwing shit at the canvas you know i've done it it just doesn't work out very well i mean it just i'm I'm better off when i have something some sort of structure established i think going in I mean, I have done some of that. It just, it just, I'm never satisfied with it. Yeah. Yeah. As, uh, I mean, I have friends that work that way, and I envy that because I see them starting with nothing, having no idea where it's going. And, you know, I have a friend that, that will, and luckily he, um, he does document it, the process, but he'll, he'll have a full painting and then just wipe it out or wow. wipe half of it out. And yeah. I, I don't know. I'm envious of that because it'd be nice to do that. But I, I don't know. I, for whatever reason, it just, I'm not able to to do that as well as I'm able to do this. Well, Eric, I'm sure that your friend's paintings are lovely, but um, <laughs> I'm also very glad you. that you work the way that oh, you do and you. that we have your stuff in thank the world. You. <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you. I mean, I, I don't think I could really do it any other way, and I am I am satisfied with it, but um, yeah, it can be a pain in the ass to work this way, but it's what I do best, I suppose. So, yeah. And it's fascinating that it's an expression of a lot of different things that are in your head, including the obsessiveness in the OCD you know yeah. like you can feel that as well as other things oh good and it good. I kind of love that oh cool yeah. Well, that's good I, yeah because there's definitely uh paranoia and anxiety going into these yeah. directly so yeah you know I, I do and I do hope it gets expressed I mean it, I guess ultimately they're optimistic but they're they also can get weird and dark so well yeah. I'm really glad that we got to see 
by we, I mean specifically Amy and I, some of what's going to be in your next show in uh, in process, and I'm looking forward to seeing the. Oh, thank you. The, I have one thanks. one more question. Yeah. This is the final question. Okay. You ready? Yeah. Um, I don't know Uh-oh. why. I don't know I don't why know. I have to ready you. <laughs> you put it yeah. that way. But I'm not ready. Okay, I'm, I'm, ready. Being, I'm just being dumb. Um, do you think about the idea of what art is for, or what it what it is for you, what it does for you, what it does for other people? Do other people need to be involved? Do you think about this at all, or do you just feel like that's less unsolved? I try not to think about it. Yeah, mostly because I don't have, feel like I have time to think about that, and I I need to be pretty deep into my own process, I guess. And so, I mean, I do think about those things, of course, but I don't really, I try not to focus on that. Because again, usually I'll drive myself nuts thinking about that sort of thing. About what, how, how, how other people be. might. Yeah. I mean, of course, I, usually I, I'm more open with the studio, I, I, but this time I haven't for whatever reason. I've shown only a few people and I've asked, you know, some specific questions about things to just a couple of my closest friends. Um, mm-hmm. do you and think yeah, I definitely think about how will it be perceived by people that like my work or people that never, have never seen my work and where does it sit in the context of art history and all that. But I, I just really can go down a rabbit hole with that stuff. So I, tr- I try to just focus on making the work that I, that I want to make. Do you have a general feeling for yourself about what the function you think art... I mean, right. I, think I, I think I started thinking about this a few years ago... And kind of came up with, for one, that it's the thing that defines a civilization, the presence of art or the absence of art. And I don't know why, why that is. Is it self-reflection or is it just that the thing that makes you, for a minute, you feel like you're connected to another person you don't even know why? I don't know. It's just something that I've always done and it came naturally to me. So I, I, I didn't, it just kind of, once I decided I was going to do it, that was it. I don't feel like I was doing it for some grand right. purpose. But I do think it's very important to society. And I, I, I think it does have an impact. I mean, unfortunately, in this country, it's, you know, it's obviously it's not uh, positioned where it should be, I think. And it's not supported the way it should be like it is in other places. But um, for me, it's important to express ideas through it. And to com- yeah. and I don't know if they communicate. Maybe they communicate on some other level that I'm not aware of. Um, Maybe that's just out of our hands, you know, I think and, it, it's o- it is. and that's okay <laughs> yeah. to do something, to want to do something and to need to do something and have it yeah. out of our hands. Yeah, I guess. And know, I, and the I, result I, that, you know, the impact that it has on other people. Yeah, of course, I, I, I when it resonates with someone and, you know, I'm, I'm happy when that when people compliment it and they say it affects them and they, you know, I mean, I wish it, it had real political power or something. Mm-hmm. I don't think it does, but I, w- I, w- I wish it did. But I, but I still, for whatever reason, try to communicate indirect political ideas through it and yeah. try to s- send a message even though it may be completely ambiguous i know what the message is and I, i'm just expressing it in that way and and I, I i can't expect anyone to get specifically what i'm thinking unless i write it out but i guess i hope on some level that it, that it communicates yeah yeah that aspect of it resonating i'm sure probably does more than we even know but there's also just a real base level value i think Forgive me for going down this road, but there's a lot of uh, Tao and you know Zen idea about just a master butcher. It's a beauty to watch someone carve, do their work yeah. in, a, in a way that they actually care about and yeah. Uh, yeah. are practiced in. You know, and I think at a ba- at a very basic level, just putting that out there for people to connect with is is something yeah. of, of value. Ted and I talk about this a lot that that there's something about seeing somebody really care about doing something really well and that yeah. that caring is the thing that comes across mm. and is infectious and that 
you can bring to your next year and you know whatever your endeavor is yeah yeah and that's very exciting to me to see you oh, care thanks yeah. yeah i mean it's true like no matter what it is if you see a level of excellence in something then it's yeah. it, 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 there is something about that that's powerful you know yeah yeah well, because there's, you. I mean, you know, there's so much work, thought, ideas, feelings that, and execution and craftsmanship that go into it. And that's exciting. It's mm-hmm. exciting to be around. So thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. thank you. It's really, you, really been wonderful. Yeah, that was really great. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much for listening to the show, everybody. Thank you for your support during the Max Fund Pledge Drive. We really appreciate how you showed out for us and the network. Please remember to subscribe, download like all the things that you do for the podcasts and all the places that you get the podcasts. This has been The Art of Process. Thanks for listening. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.